0: Hi there, and God bless you. I'm Pastor Brian Hallam. I'm so glad you're tuning into this message. So glad you're allowing me to come into your home and share a little bit from God's Word. Today we're going to be talking about worship. And I don't want you to tune out. I want you to tune in. Because it might just be different than what you've thought all along. God bless you. Let's go to the message. Worship requires intimacy. Intimacy. And intimacy requires vulnerability. Worship requires intimacy. And intimacy requires vulnerability. Because when you are intimate, your problems might not go away, but they don't bother you near as much. But being intimate requires you to be vulnerable. Which is why when you have a problem with your spouse... The first thing that goes out the window is the intimacy. Because intimacy requires you to be vulnerable. And when you're offended, you don't want to be vulnerable. Does that make sense? And the same way in a marriage, if you've been married for more than one year, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're married for less than a year, Just keep on keeping on and know what I'm telling you is true. If you're going to be married for a long time and stay intimate, it requires you to be strategic. Because when you're a newlywed, intimacy makes all the sense in the world. Because you got nothing else to do. (laughs) Is my face red, Jake? I'm going to try to keep this PG, but it's very important for us to understand. Intimacy requires vulnerability. When you are in that newlywed stage, intimacy is, is almost a byproduct of breathing. But as your, as your relationship grows and the logistics of your life increase, you work here, they work there, the kids have to be dropped off here, picked up there, grass needs cutting, you know, the, the dishwasher needs emptying. The, the, the carpet needs vacuuming. God help us. The toilets need scrubbing. Now, intimacy is not as, as, as knee-jerk as it could be. And what happens when intimacy leaves is our frustration and offense increases. But when intimacy is there... Sometimes the problems and the struggles may not have left we just don't care about them because the intimacy creates almost like a force field that stops us from being offended with our spouse For instance if you and your husband have a have a little bit of a tiff going on a little bit of a spat and and intimacy has not been pursued After some time, whatever that time is for you, you're going to walk in and you're going to see his boots laying in the exact same place they've been laying every day for 25 years. And you're going to go, I can't believe he still has his stinking boots right here. I don't know. God must be testing me. (laughs) Sir, same scenario. Intimacy goes out the window. And let me just say this. All other trip hazards are harder to see when intimacy leaves. Somebody walks up to you smelling like perfume and says the right thing at the right time and instantaneously you start having a conversation that should have never gone to that level that if intimacy was still being pursued in your own house, you would have immediately recognized it and you would have shut it down before it started. Same thing, ma'am. Somebody's going to come up to you and they might not be smelling like perfume, but they might say, are you okay? Your answer to that is, none of your freaking business. i got a husband. Well, that's a little too much. Well, I protect my marriage at all costs. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to offend my wife. I'd rather offend all of you then my wife, one time. So what happens when intimacy leaves, the trip hazards become less obvious. And intimacy creates the ability to ignore offense. So for instance, you got a little spat going on with your wife. All of a sudden, this woman has never, and I mean never, put enough salt on the chicken. And what you think, here it is, what you think is a change in somebody else will bring you happiness. When the truth of it is, your happiness is your responsibility. And intimacy gives you the ability to overlook and endure the challenges. Intimacy will cause you to overlook nearly everything. Nearly everything. So it's the same way with the Lord. When we don't have intimate time with him, we start building a laundry list of all the stuff that if this happened, we'd be happy. If I just had this house, I'd be happy. If I just had this car, I'd be happy. If my kids just got into this school, I'd be happy. If I just didn't have to work from 1 o'clock to 1.30 every single day in the afternoon, I'd be happy. It's just so much, huh? When the truth of it is, what we need is intimacy because the intimacy insulates us against the offenses of this world. And when you spend time with him in an intimate moment, it requires Vulnerability. And vulnerability means you've got to expose to him what you've been hiding from him. But the truth is, he's not surprised by it. You've just withheld it. And he's so kind that he doesn't run in and snatch it from you. Do you remember when the prodigal son came home? The Bible says that he had gone so far from his father's house that he was uh, looking at what pigs ate and wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. And the Bible said he came to himself and he said, I'm going to go to my dad's house and I'm just going to be a servant. And he went back and the Bible says that his daddy saw him way off in the distance and ran to him. In other words, the minute God sees one step of vulnerability, he runs to your rescue. He's not asking you to figure everything out. And you'll find out certainly he answers our prayers. But you'll find out you don't need all of your prayers answered as much as you just need intimate time with him. When you are intimate with God because you have made yourself vulnerable, all of a sudden, now you begin to find peace without regard to what's actually going on in your life. Now the boots don't bother you as much. Now the person cutting you off in traffic doesn't bother you as much because you've been around him and the more you are like him, excuse me, the more you are around him, the more you are like him because he rubs off on you. Have you ever heard that saying? You're a product of your surroundings. You're a product of the people you're around. Did you know you can spend time with Jesus and the same thing is true? One of my favorite songs, oh, to be like you, I give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever the hope in my heart. Oh, to be like you. Like him in forgiveness. Like him in peace. Like him in strength. Like him in meekness. Like him in overlooking shortcomings. Like him in being patient, knowing that he is working behind the scenes. Like him, uh, to, be, to be like him means you have been intimate with him. Well, is worship what you thought? We're just really diving into it. But I want you to know worship is one of the greatest opportunities for a believer. The Bible says that God will literally inhabit the praises of his people. It's like we're building him a chair to sit in. Is your worship a chair worthy for our God? It's a challenging statement. We're gonna jump right back to the message, but I want you to stay tuned at the conclusion of today's episode, I have a short message that I want to talk to you about right at the end of service. I want to talk to you about what it means to get the gospel around the world and how you can literally partner and help us spread the message of Jesus Christ and his kingdom all over the planet. There's 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 a guy named David in the Bible. Everybody say David and David was really cool. He comes on the scene as a shepherd boy. And the Bible says that he was anointed to be King of Israel and his brothers, they were by all measurable, uh, optic. They should have been anointed, but God doesn't look at the outside as much as he looks at the inside. And so the scripture says that David was out tending his sheep and, and, uh, on the day that Samuel, the prophet, came to Jesse's house, David's daddy, to anoint the next king of Israel. All the brothers were there. And Samuel goes by with the oil, and he goes, not you, not you, not you. And he goes down the whole list, and none of them fit the mold that God was looking for for a king. And the Bible says that that Samuel looked at Jesse and said, do you have any more kids? He said, I got one more. He's out in the field tending sheep. And and Samuel says, that's the kind of guy I'm looking for, actually. And he goes out, and he says, "Uh, David... He said, you're a shepherd. He said, that's yes. He said, yes, I'm a shepherd. He said, how do you like being a shepherd? And David said, it's not bad. (laughs) And so he takes the oil and he pours it on David and David is anointed the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that David went right back to doing what he was doing. And the Bible says in that time frame that he fought a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. And the Bible says he killed the lion and he killed the bear the bible says that one day his daddy said david he said make sure that the sheep are taken care of but i want you to go take some some food to your brothers They're there's they've been sent off to battle david said okay and he takes some bread and some cheese are you getting hungry yet take some bread and some cheese and he goes to his brothers says, here's some bread for you guys and i brought some cheese for the captain of of the regiments of your regiments the captains and in other words, he was showing honor already to those in authority and those in leadership. And the Bible says that while he's talking, everybody's like, oh man, so you guys are going to fight? Yeah, we're going to fight. It's going to be crazy. All of a sudden, he heard somebody yelling in the valley. And they were cursing and screaming against our God, the God of Israel. And they were, he was just railing against and cursing. And, and, and David said, are y'all deaf? Do you hear this? And they said, yeah, we hear it. Guy comes out here every day and says that. And David's like, y'all been listening to this? You hadn't done anything about it? And one of the brothers said, said, David, you need to shut up. You just came here because you wanted to see us fight. He said, no. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there and shut that guy's mouth. That's what I'm going to do. And they said, well, did you know that if you do that, you get to marry the king's daughter? And David was like, but is she fine though? (laughs) And they take him before Saul, the current king, And Saul says, Look, you can't fight him, you're just a boy. And David rehearsed what God had already done for him. One of the most powerful things you have is to remember what God has already done for you. He said, He delivered me from a lion and a bear. He said, And surely he'll deliver me from the hands of this godless Philistine. And he said, He said, He said, Well, and 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 to try to make himself feel better, Saul says, Well, at least wear my armor. And he goes and he puts the armor on and it's too big because the Bible says Saul was super tall. We don't know how big David was, but we do know he was most likely a teenager at this time. And he tries to move around. He said, I really can't move in this, Saul. In other words, he said this, what got you here is not what got me here. I'm not gonna walk out your destiny. I'm gonna walk out my destiny. My destiny. Because the most dangerous thing in a believer's life is religion. Because religion values custom more than people. Saul had worn that armor time and time again. So he was like, fight him this way. And David said, I'm not here to fight him your way. I'm here to fight him my way. And in every new generation, there's always a new sound. There's always a new movement and religion oftentimes makes you say this, makes you say, that's not how we used to do it. That's not the songs we used to sing. You know, I just like the old stuff. Nothing wrong with the old stuff. I was, I was born and raised on, on beautiful hymns out of the hymnal. Okay. We're going to sing verse one. We're going to sing verse 3, then we're going to come back to the chorus with a gentleman or a lady standing in front of the church, and they'd be, great is thy faithfulness, like that. We're all like, what you waving at, bro? We'll sing. <laughs> but religion wants you to look back and use the old thing when God always says this, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And every generation has to turn the corner or they'll miss it. You have to look at what the new generation is doing or you will miss the new thing that God is doing. So David said, I'm sorry, I can't use your ways. I've never fought with that on. It doesn't fit me anyway. And he went and he took his slingshot and some stones he pulled out of the bottom of a creek And the Bible says that Goliath, the big old giant, started yelling at him. He said, what is this? Looks like a little dog. And David's over there with that slang, saying, you're about to find out what kind of dog I am, buddy. He says, you guys send me a dog? He said, little dog, little boy, I'm going to cut your head off and feed you to the birds. And David said, you come against me with spear, with a spear and a shield and a sword. He said, but I'm coming against you in the name. Of the Lord, Spirit, Truth, Passion. He said, "You think you're going to cut my head off?" He said, "Before this day's over, I'm going to stand over you, cut your head off, and the birds are going to eat you." Goliath gets angry, and the fight starts. The Bible says David took what he knew, and he took his sling, and he. Threw a rock and it buried in Goliath's forehead. And the Bible said David ran over, because he didn't even have a sword that we know of. He ran over and he grabbed Goliath's sword and he cut Goliath's head off, and the victory was over was was his. But what I think is important to, to recognize is the Bible doesn't say that no weapon formed you, formed against you will prosper, period. It just won't prosper against you. So whatever weapon the enemy is swinging at you, before it's over, will be turned back on him. So the Bible says that David won that great, beautiful victory. And when he won that great, beautiful victory, it, it, it began this beautiful process. One of the things that happened is his daddy, Jesse, never had to pay taxes again. Can somebody say amen to that? His daddy was like, come here to me, David. I always loved you the best. He called his accountant. He was like, hey, you're fired. (laughs) But he goes and he serves the king and he endures a lot. He has incredible favor. The people, he becomes a great warrior. Even more so leads people. Gets married. Everything's going good in his life. One day the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant was the effective presence of God in that time. Wherever the Ark was, blessings stayed. And the Bible says when the Ark was brought back to Israel, that there was a beautiful parade that was taking place. And David, he was wearing a, an ephod or a coat of some kind, like almost like a coat, like an ephod. And he was so happy and he was so proud of what God had done Every time that, the, that they would carry the ark a few steps, he would stop them. He would say, let's sacrifice again. And they would make another sacrifice to God. And there was music and dancing and people waving and clapping and shouting and just honoring the Lord. And the Bible said that David was dancing so much that his ephod fell off. And, and the Bible says that he didn't even stop to pick it up. He just kept dancing. And, and he was so proud of what God had done. And then his wife looked out almost like a window and saw her husband, the king, dancing in front of the people without his ephod, without his jacket. And the Bible says that, that she said, look at this guy. Is he nuts? I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe that he would be that vulnerable in front of people. The Bible says that David came to her. As he, he walked in and said, hey baby, you got some of that saltless chicken you cooked? She says, whatever. Why don't you go dance some more? He said, what? What's wrong with you? She said, I saw you out there making a fool of yourself. Danced out of your ephod. You can go read it. 2 Samuel 6. I bet the girls love that. That's what she said. I bet the ladies, I bet all the maidens love seeing that. He said, I ain't worried about anybody else. She said, you know what? You're supposed to be a king. You ought to be acting like that. In other words, you ought not let people see your worship. You shouldn't let anybody see you worship. But your worship is actually a witness that you believe what you say. He's either God or he is not. And if he's God, he ought to be worshipped. And if he's not, what are you doing here? The Bible says that David looked at her and she's like, David, you're supposed to be cool, man. Everybody got your cool card? It's like a little badge. You're supposed to be cool. You're supposed to be the king. He said, might I remind you It was the God I am dancing and shouting and singing to that delivered me from a lion and a bear. It's the God that I was dancing and singing and shouting to that brought the oil all the way into a field full of sheep while everybody else was standing in line. And he poured it on my head. She said, woman, if you think that was something, you should have seen the day he delivered me from Goliath's hand. You should have seen the day he delivered me from the fear of Saul you should have seen the day he delivered me from the cave you should have seen that day I'm guaranteeing you this woman if you think that was something he said you ain't seen nothing yet one translation said if you think that was undignified I will be even more undignified he said what does that exactly mean it means Get out of your comfort zone and actually worship him if you really want to encounter him. You come in here and act the same way. You've always acted. Your daddy acted. Your grandpa acted. Your mama acted. Whatever. You're going to get everything they got. And if they, their face glowed and they translated to heaven like Enoch did, then do it that way. But if they left some stuff that you want to improve. Matter of fact, everybody just hold your card up. No pun intended, but these things do look cool hold them up with two hands almost like you're, you're proud of them and, and, and let me tell you the first step the first step in really going to that place of intimacy is to hold it up like you're proud of it Then tear it in half I know it was just a piece of paper but some of you just got set free when you say man now, now I get it it's not about me I didn't come in here to be seen. I came in here to touch him. And when you do that, your worship begins to elevate. And when your worship begins to elevate, the Bible says this, he inhabits the praises of his people. And then he starts to show up. And that's what we've been experiencing, especially this summer at New Heights Church, where there's just been an increase of his presence Where vulnerability becomes our standard because we know He's the one that heals. When you refuse to be vulnerable to the Lord and you tell everybody about your problems, it's like you're taking your toaster to an auto mechanic or your car to an appliance repair shop. They're not designed to fix that, but He is. And the minute you pull those layers away and say, for real, God, I'm here for you. If you'll fix it, I'm going to give it to you. And he says this, cast your cares on me because I greatly, greatly care for you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode on worship. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I pray it's challenged you. You know, worship, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. One translation indicates it's like we're building a chair for him to sit in. So here's something that you might think about. Is your worship building a chair that is worthy for our God? I know it can be challenging. I know it's a great time of reflection. But we ought to pour ourselves on him like he was willing to pour himself out for us. Listen. I am so thankful that you've tuned in. And next week, I have a great episode ready for you. But I want to talk to you for just a minute about partnership. See, this message of the kingdom needs to go around the world. The Bible says that whenever we partner together, that we are partakers of the same grace. That means that even though I'm standing on the other side of a camera, preaching and teaching the word of God... When you partner with me, every grace that is on this ministry gets on your house. When somebody gets born again, you're a partaker of that grace. When uh, something good happens for somebody because they begin to believe the gospel of the kingdom through this ministry, you're a partaker of that grace. I salute all my partners. I thank you for helping me get this message out. But maybe you'd like to become a partner today. Go right now to BrianHallam.com and you can sign up today to be a partner. You'll find other resources there, other teachings. But it's something that's very special to me because when we partner together, we are stronger than we would be alone. God bless each and every one of you. God bless my partners and those who are choosing to be today. But maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say, you know what? I don't even know who this Jesus is. Let me just tell you quickly, he loves you very much. If you've never given your life to him, I want to lead you in a prayer today. Just say this after me. Say, oh God, I come to you now and I ask you to save me. Write my name in your book. I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead for my victory. I'm a Christian now. I repent of my sins. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, I believe you've been born again. Get yourself in a good Bible-believing church. If you're in Texas, in the College Station area, come out to my church, New Heights Church. I promise we'll make you feel right at home.